can see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is the Blackout Report. See you on the other side. Well, there are still plenty of strange, spooky cryptids in the world. The kind that'll make you wait until morning to take the trash out for fear of running into one. Not all cryptids are supernatural, or even hard to understand. In fact, some are just underwhelming, or too medium to be popular. Living between the known and the unbelievable, they exist closer to the platypus than the chupacabra. That said, recently, we've come across an entire collection of these underdogs, and honestly, it was too damn good not to share. So what we'd like to do today is to rally behind these C and D students of the cryptid world, the ones in the shadows of Bigfoot, the Dogman, and Nessie. Today, we're going to give special focus to some shit you've never heard of and will only make you stranger for knowing about, so please... If you value your relationship, wait at least two years after you get married before you bring any of this up. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 32 of the Black Cat Report. My name is Gil, and I'm joined with this evening by Selena. Hello. And the International Betsabe. Hola. And sadly, superhost slash producer <laughs> Joey is stuck in the dungeons of late stage capitalism. Now, before we go Ooh. any further, we need to make a special announcement, right? Now, before we go any further, we need to make a special announcement. Holy shit, thank you, all of you, for getting this podcast featured on Samsung last week. It has been an absolute roller coaster on our end, seeing our show numbers double then triple, then quadruple. Even as we're recording this, the numbers are still rising. So thank you to everyone for your support and welcome to all you new listeners. We see you and we're glad you're here. Woo! Hi! Yay! Welcome. Okay, so first things first. The cryptids we're about to cover look really weird and can be really hard to picture. To solve that, I've entered in all the details about their descriptions into an AI art generator so we can have an idea of what we're talking about. So wherever you're listening to this, I want you to look down at the show notes. There will be a link called Cryptid Cards. If you click it, it'll take you to an Instagram post where you can see the depictions of the cryptids we're going to be talking about. Further, because I'm a nerd and thought it was funny, I made them into their own Pokemon cards. The stats on them should make some more sense as we read about them a little bit later. Lastly, if you stick around to the end of the show, I'll be reading an encounter I came across online where someone actually ran into one of the cryptids we'll be discussing tonight. We hope you enjoy. Dun, dun, dun. As Europeans aggressively colonized North America, they very quickly began running out of the once unlimited supply of conven convenient lumber they relied on to build their cities and settlements. And so, by the early 1800s, with local natural resources becoming harder to reach and exploit, logging transitioned from a local occupation 
to a long-distance occupation. The era of the American lumberjack now reigned. But as fresh-faced youth flooded deeper into the prehistoric forest, hoping to chop down and cash in on untapped lumber of 10,000-year-old trees, they would soon need to set up more and more distant logging camps until they finally dotted their way across the entire continent. Paul Bunyan. And while this expansion would bring new resources into the growing towns and cities, it would also bring on the birth of new folk tales, legends, and monsters. As for those monsters, the first we'll be exploring is the hide behind. Sounds spooky. <laughs> Honestly, this is the creepiest cryptid we're covering tonight. So, located in the forests all across the northern border of the United States and southern border to Canada, to me, the hide behind looks like what would happen if cousin It from the Adams family had a love child with a pale crawler. Covered in wow. long, thick... <laughs> It looks really weird. <laughs> Covered in long, thick, black fur, a hide-behind's face is impossible to see. It has short yet incredibly muscular arms with claws the size of a grizzly bear's. It sports a curved tail, and it stands at six feet tall. And while at first, this description sounds closer to that of a bear, I assure you that's where the similarities end. You see... The hide behind comes by its name quite honestly. Like a chameleon changes its colors, the hide behind changes its shape. Moving in complete silence and an incredible speed, the hide behind never lets its next victim see it stalking. No matter how fast someone turns to look, the hide behind will essentially make itself invisible as it forms perfectly to the shape of the nearest tree or object it can find. It can do this until it's down to only 10 inches wide. So we're talking about something that can just go from this very massive creature, this very massive beast, to just completely forming to whatever the hell object is behind you when you turn around and look. That's pretty messed up. It's yeah, that motherfucker be hiding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be hiding behind. Hide and seek champion. <laughs> well, capable of going... <gasps> <laughs> just constantly sucking suck in his in. beer gut. Capable of going up to seven years without eating. Hide behinds are known for their extreme patience when they're hunting their prey. And when it does feed, it prefers the intestines of humans. Ew. <laughs> You've never With had like sopa de mollejas? No, that's disgusting. <laughs> It's really good. <laughs> like, why is that even a thing? You've never had, like, tripe or, like, no? Tripas? No. Never. Gil, you've eaten it. Menudo. Yeah, it's good as hell. It's disgusting. That's intestines, baby. I'm gonna get on a diet so you can call me the hide behind. Oh, my jeez. Because I love me some intestines. <laughs> oh, my jeez. Well. No. No. <laughs> Yeah, my mom and my sister, they had it. And also, like, tacos de lengua. It's just yeah. like, mm. why? Why yes. is that even a thing? Tongue tacos. I like Ew. to think of it as being, like, 
um, <laughs> respectful of like the animal. Like they're using every single part of the animal. They're not being wasteful with like the fact that they've like, got, you know, taken a life. So <laughs> that's I will that's say the way to see it. <laughs> so the hide behind is the exact opposite of that. It kind of like it just hops in. And only eats the intestines and leaves everything else on the ground. It's Rude. it's va- it's an incredibly wasteful creature. Well, as I said, capable of going up to seven years without eating. Hide behinds are known for their extreme patience when they're hunting their prey. With a diabolical laugh, a hide behind leaps from behind a tree, only being seen the moment it wraps its claws across the stomach of an isolated, unassuming individual strolling in the woods. The victim's last breath will only give them time to watch as their insides are being devoured. Damn. (laughs) It's horrifying, right? Well, with all that said, the hide behind does have an incredibly... um, how do we say potent weakness? And that is alcohol. Of course. That's right. If you're like me and you're drinking right now, you're safe from the hide behind. Well, why? <laughs> the only known way to prevent a hide behind's attack is the smell is to smell like alcohol. In fact, after disemboweling someone, hide behinds are known to pick up the victim's intestines and smell them. If they detect the scent of alcohol, They'll throw the person's guts back into their face and then dart off into the woods. So you're still not okay. safe. No. <laughs> yeah. So but they're you... like, um, I think you kind of smell like alcohol, but I gotta check. And then they rip you open, smell your intestines, say ew gross, and then throw it in your face. They literally and then like run smell away test from you. you. Yeah, they smell test. But they you. rip your guts out to smell them. Like vegetables in the back of all of our refrigerators right now. They smell test you first and then throw them, throw you in the trash, basically. But the smell <laughs> testing involves them cutting you open and removing your intestines first. I will say if you... How is that safe? You said some, you would be safe. Some of the early accounts say that you have to make sure that you actually physically smell like alcohol so that they don't attack you so the point is is like it's not just enough to drink so pour it on you have to be fucking plastered or else the hide behind will kill you it's your only option on yourself that's your only only option if you're sober like yeah if you (laughs) if you if you're sober like me just pour it on yourself no you're dead the hide behind's number one feeding spot is AA meetings all across the United States. That's because he's newly sober. That's why he hates alcohol so much, okay? We all went through that phase. Okay, yeah. this sounds like an alcoholic like made this up. That's an excuse to drink alcohol. Funny. Honey, Funny. you know the hide behinds out there. I gotta get plastered before I come home. I can't help it if exactly. it takes me until 2 a.m. <laughs> So exactly. funny you would, funny you would say that. Um, a lot of our tales, as as I kind of like clued in at the intro, come from the breeding culture, right? That came out of um, the era of the lumberjack, the American lumberjack. Paul Bunyan. Yeah. So like tales like Paul Bunyan, right? Like that came out of that era between like the late 1700s, early 1800s into the early 1900s, where 
all of a sudden, there wasn't an unlimited supply of trees literally next to everybody's houses because they had been chopping them down for the past, you know, 25 to 100 plus years, 200 years. So they would have to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods, into essentially to Europeans, to white folks, like uncharted territories. And when that lumber would come back, so would all of these tales of the creatures and the different things that they would see, right? Um as in any culture, when stories and stuff start to develop, they directly reflect the perceptions, the views, the morals of that culture, right? So in the case of the hide behind, it's literally an excuse to be drunk. Like, it's straight up, it's lumberjacks being like, look, man, if I'm not drunk, I'll fucking die. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that is, it is straight up their way of being like, I need to drink or I'm gonna die here, my man. Hide behinds everywhere. <laughs> you know? And some of these, some of these, um, these cryptids, not all of them, but some of them almost stand as a warning about, like, keeping your eye out while you're doing a super dangerous job, such as being a lumberjack, which is super fucking dangerous even today. <laughs> it's an incredibly dangerous job. Like, trees can fucking fall on you and kill your ass, <laughs> you know? Like, there's but wild animals <laughs> in the woods. But if you're drunk, they'll just kill it's your ass easy. and leave you. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so easy when you're drunk. You just go, joop, joop. That's a a chainsaw. That's that's that's, that's what drunks sound like. Every drunk sounds yeah. like doop doop. Cheep, cheep. They go doop doop. But with all that said, I can't help like I came across these collections of stories from this specific arrow, this very specific intent behind it, and I'm like, these are fucking fascinating. Like how <laughs> the hell like I want some of these cryptids on a shirt like i would vote for some of these goddamn cryptids all right fascinating like, darling <laughs> they're just they're hilarious like little creatures and you'll you'll see more the first one creepy next one's eh, not so much all right the drawings of the first one though make it just look like a big sheepdog sometimes sometimes they're really sketchy also i should include um the hide behind has been featured in an episode of um oh shit what's that show gravity falls that's right there was an episode dedicated to the hide behind in gravity falls it's also it recently a mini, like a mini a mini sode it's yeah Not a it's, full it's episode. also been recently featured in um the harry potter world i don't know where in the harry potter world we should ask our friend who's really into harry potter um but the hide behinds mm. also appeared there and the hide behinds also taken off in like um, Magic the Gathering and like a few other like tabletop like card games and like fantasy games and things like that. So like it's it's starting to starting to get some respect. But the fact is nobody's ever seen a hide behind because they just slit your fucking guts out and kill you <laughs> and then leave or wow. eat you. So depictions of them are like very like vague. It's like and no one's ever seen one because they died. Also it looks like this. And so you have to question like mm -hmm. how the hell do you know it looks like that if no one's ever seen one? Um so these are our best guesses. Well moving on to our next one. Not all inhabitants of the forest are good neighbors. In fact, one might even say that long before human-led deforestation became an issue, there was another culprit leaving mass destruction in its wake. I'm speaking now, of course, about the splinter cat. 
first mm-hmm. documented. <laughs> Sounds painful. It's a kitty. My first, yeah. my first move would want to be to pet it, but I don't want splinters. You yes. <laughs> well, first documented in the late 1800s, the splinter cat is said to have inhabited nearly all forest areas of North America, though it was most predominantly found east of the Mississippi River between the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico. Reported to be roughly the size of a cougar, the splinter cat can reach 7 to 8 feet long and weigh between 90 to 175 pounds, depending on gender. It has massive claws and incredibly powerful legs, with the colors and patterns of its fur varying between regions, matching those of the tree bark from which it finds its food. It has a reinforced skull, similar to a ram, but definitely less effective. You see, the splinter cat is known for having a terrible temper. They are always in a bad mood because they are always suffering from a debilitating headache. Oh, no. <laughs> Why the headache, you might ask? Well, this comes from the way in which they hunt and get their name. Being nocturnal, they emerge from their dens at night and proceed to climb the tallest tree they can find before positioning themselves on the longest branch and leaping off. Tucking their legs in and taking the form of a torpedo, they fly full <laughs> speed through the air before smashing their head into the trunks of random trees. Oh, wow. They do this over and over and over again all night long, completely completely flattening large sections of the forest until they finally find and splinter a hollow tree housing one of their favorite food sources, raccoons or bees. What? Why? (laughs) So... So basically, it's all the splinter. (laughs) No, this is. These are early American cryptids. (laughs) They literally, this cat, just basically a normal cat, just climbs as high as it can possibly go, jump off of a goddamn tree. It doesn't even know if the tree it's aiming for has anything in it. It just keeps hitting trees and knocking them down over and over and over (laughs) until it busts a tree apart. And then it eats what's ever inside of it. Mmm, bees. <laughs> I don't understand. And they're like... angry, spicy, <laughs> spicy bees. Like I said, these are the C and D students of the cryptid world, okay? I warned you. No, these motherfuckers eat glue. <laughs> Favorite hobby is watching. <laughs> That's <laughs> a your laugh. Favorite hobby is watching paint dry and eating glue. So, the next time you're hiking in the woods and come across a vast area of fallen trees, be aware. You may be in the hunting grounds of the splinter cat. God Probably damn. not. Wow. <laughs> so, what that. I've learned is that it <laughs> will not hurt me to pet them. I know. Pretty it much. sounds like Pretty innocent. So all I hear is friend. Yeah. As long as you don't dress like a tree, you should be fine. All I hear is friend. (laughs) All you hear is friend. Well, for the next one, not so much. Oh. 
Lurking in the treetops, laying in wait, our next cryptid has been leaving bodies in its wake across the northernmost forests of America, from Maine to Oregon, for as long as humans have dared enter the woods. First reported by European loggers in the 1800s, our next cryptid is like a territorial serial killer that both murders and conceals its crime in a single act before vanishing deeper into the woods to establish its next killing grounds. To scientists, it's known as Anthrocephalus craniofractans. To loggers, the Widowmaker. And Whoa. to the rest of us, <laughs> the Agropelter. Huh? Oh my god, I saw the pictures of this mother. Oh, I, see. I know who this is. Covered in a thick black <laughs> fur, the Agropelter is said to be about four foot tall when standing have the body of a skinny, starving bear, quote, the villainous face of an ape, end quote, and, a disproportion- and disproportionately long, muscular arms. Making Sounds its like home... A little bit. <laughs> Making its home inside of hollow trees, the agropelter survives almost exclusively on hoot owls and woodpeckers, which... As a result of these two birds becoming increasingly more rare, has made the agropelter hyper territorial and violent. Taking advantage of their position in the treetops, the agropelter will stalk anyone trespassing on their territory. More specifically, any lumberjack casually walking down a trail, and even more, more specifically, any plaid wearing hipster on shrooms who got lost walking their labradoodle paisley, who was totally a rescue and they definitely <laughs> did not spend two to four thousand dollars on. Yeah, you know how the rescues are teeming with Labradoodles? Yep. Exactly. I like how it was very specific. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, creeping through the forest, slowly moving tree to tree, the agropelter will watch and learn the path of its next victim. Once understood, it will crawl into a hollow tree ahead of its approaching target and wait until the perfect moment to spring out, grab a massive branch, and with the force of a bullet, whip it towards the head of its victim. Whoa. Now what makes this murder technique so nefarious is that anyone so unlucky as to stumble across a bloody hipster crushed <laughs> under a massive tree branch with their dog, Paisley, barking nearby, will to them it'll look like just an accident. Dun, Whoa. Dun, dun. <laughs> so watch out, hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the agropelter was hanging out with the hide behind, so he kind of just learned how to hide better, so he's still there. It does totally. <laughs> so the next better. accident happens. <laughs> but, like, straight up, so, like, the agropelter, like, basically looks like a monkey with noodle arms. Like it's just yeah, like, it looks exactly like an orangutan. Yeah, but like its arms are like three times as long as it should be, and like it just grabs branches. Yeah, but like three times longer than that. Whatever you pictured, three times longer. It doesn't even matter if you know. Just three times longer than whatever you pictured. <laughs> now, unlike some of the other cryptids, we actually have a lot of information about the agropelter, or at least. We have a lot of odd information about the agropelter. 
Other than being the equivalent of a forest Donkey Kong, Agripelters are incredibly dedicated, if not eccentric, parents. The one fun fact that I would love to share with you all tonight is that once a pregnant agropelter finds a suitable hollow tree to call home, one deep in the heart of the forest with plenty of owls and woodpeckers to eat, it will settle deep inside of a tree and give birth to its litter, to its litter of little agropelters. Now when it does this, here's a couple fun facts. It's always an odd number that it gives birth to. And it always, without fail and with no exceptions, gives birth on February 29th. <gasps> <gasps> the forbidden know. day. I'm just reading Wait, the research. Wait, I thought February oh. only had 28 days. <gasps> there are some, like every four years, um, it has oh. a 29th day. Holy shit, Betsabe. And Selena, God damn it. All right. How old are you guys? <laughs> this has happened in your lifetime. <laughs> I don't pay attention to days. I'm just what? a victim of them. Okay? <laughs> I'm you just a victim of the calendar. I I do not understand it. I just don't Next understand up. why even do that on a calendar. I don't know. Why do we do anything? <laughs> Every day. I want to know. What even is like, life? They just tell us, yeah, they just tell us to do shit, and we're just like, oh, okay, yes, that's what we have to do. Fucking okay. taxes, I guess. <laughs> Our next cryptid has had an entire song by Genesis dedicated to it. Has found its oh. way into the lyrics of a Steely Dan song, and by far is the most openly roasted of all cryptids. <laughs> Force. What you're gonna say. Forced to adapt to marshes and swamps in Pennsylvania after overzealous logging of hemlock forests, it is easily the saddest, most poorly adapted cryptid I've ever heard of, but still probably my favorite. It is the squonk. The squonk. The squonk. The squonk. Now, okay, in my opinion... <laughs> It's going to make sense once you hear more about it. You're like, yeah, that would be called the squonk. <laughs> this poor little fella. He's real sad. He's so sad. Well, Aww. now, in my opinion, the best way to view a squonk is to think of them as basically the Eeyore of the cryptid world. A tiny animal with loose-fitting skin uh, that is covered in warts and always crying. It looks like Ew. a clinically depressed mole rat that only listens to the Smiths. <laughs> it's it's hey, I'm so sad. By that. It's so I know they're sad. so good, right? <laughs> just, yes. they made all that good music in only five years. Well, <laughs> I won't pretend to be able to rephrase perfection, so I'm going to read to you directly from the book that first documented the squonk titled Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods, written in 1910 by William T. Cox. Its description is as follows. Quote, Probably the homeliest animal in the world, and knows it. The distribution was once fairly wide, the usual habitat being high plains where desert vegetation was abundant. 
History shows beyond dispute that as these areas gradually changed to swampy, lake-dotted country, the squonk was forced to take to the water. Of distinctly low mentality, it traveled constantly around the unaccustomed marshes in search of fodder. With time, it developed webbing between its toes, but only on the submerged left feet. Hence, on entering the water, it could swim only in a circle and never get back to shore. Fossil bones dredged from these lake bottoms reveal that thousands perished of starvation in this manner. Oh my god. This poor little guy. Today, the squawk is met with solely in the hemlock forest of Pennsylvania. It is a most retiring, bashful, corpuscular animal. Garbed in a loose, warty, singularly ill-fitting skin, the squonk is always unhappy, even morbid. He is given to constant weeping over his really upsetting appearance and can sometimes be tracked by his tear-stained trail. This sounds, like, so complicated. (laughs) Yeah. This is very sad. Are we just, like, describing Pokemon? This poor little This is, like, a very useless Pokemon. (laughs) I know. Literally, all he does is cry, swim in a circle until he dies. (laughs) It gets better. It gets better. He's so sad. I love him. (laughs) Who invented this? Moonlit nights are best for squonk hunts. For then the animal prefers to lie quiet in its hemlock home, fearing should it venture forth that it may catch a glimpse of itself in some moonlit pool. Sometimes you can hear one weeping softly to himself. The fuck? (laughs) This This sounds like every kid in high school. It's an entire species of perpetually depressed little saggy potatoes. When the moon hits your eye, you can hear a squonk cry. That's a squonk. Oh, Delina, that was beautiful. I was thinking, and back me up on this if you know the words. I was looking for a pond, and then I found a pond. And heaven knows I'm miserable I'm now. Miserable now. <laughs> just like this little squonk just singing Smith songs to himself. Crying while hunters are out in the woods looking for his little ugly ass. Oh, oh my god, he's so cute. <laughs> Alright, well... <laughs> Alright, I, fin- I gotta finish up this quote. Well, moonlit nights are best for squonk hunts. For then... The animal prefers to lie quiet in its hemlock home, fearing should it venture forth and may catch a glimpse of itself in some moonlit pool. Sometimes you can hear one weeping softly to himself. The sound is a low note of pleading, somewhat resembling the call of a cross-feathered snee, which I looked up and is totally a made-up bird. Yeah, uh, it is. Obviously. <laughs> End quote. I got more. I got more, y'all. Dr. Seuss? Another incredible description of the squonk comes to us today from author Henry Tryon out of his 1939 masterpiece, Fearsome Creatures. Quote, 
The squonk is of a very retiring disposition, generally traveling around at twilight and dusk because of its misfitting skin, which is covered in warts and moles. It is always unhappy. In fact, it is said, by people who are best able to judge, to be the most morbid of beasts. Hunters who are good at trekking are able to follow a squonk by its tear-stained trail. For oh, the animal weeps so constantly. <laughs> For the animal weeps constantly. When cornered, an escape seems impossible, or when surprised and frightened, it may even dissolve itself into tears. Wow. Squonk hunters are more successful on frosty moonlit nights when tears are shed slowly and the animal dislikes moving about. It may then be heard weeping under the boughs of a dark hemlock tree. End quote. Yeah, you know when it's cold and your tears are slow? (laughs) Yes. It's kind of like when stars are falling and the tears are slower, or the stars are slower, you know. (laughs) Yeah, when the stars are falling, my tears are slower. What's going on? Now, to really... (laughs) Am I dying? (laughs) Am I dying? Now to really drive home just how ugly and sad this little fellow is. There is a famous story of a hunter who, after tricking the little guy into a sack, he tried to take him home. To summarize it, basically, after getting the guy into the sack, right? This this poor little squonk that was just crying the whole damn time. Bag in hand, as the hunter was strolling back to his house, the sack suddenly felt lighter. When he opened it up to look inside, all he saw was a pool of squonk tears, wow. leading the hunter to fear for the existence of squonks. <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, this little guy dissolved into a pool of his own tears, and the hunter saw it and was like, damn, I'm worried for you, little fellas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Creatures. I love them so much, I can't help it. Where can we find one? We got to go to Pennsylvania to cap it all off here with the squomp or with the squonk. Tales like these have led to the poor little emo cryptid picking up the scientific name Lacrimacorpus dissolveness, which is Latin for tear body dissolve. Oh, (laughs) tear body. Put that together. That's so clunky. I just don't even understand what is the purpose of this thing. Like, to be sad? That's the the point of all this is like, there is a whole like world of cryptids that aren't stalking you in the middle of the night. You know, they don't have psychic powers. They might not be interdimensional. You can't track them on a map. You can't cast their footprints. Like, there's been a whole world of cryptids that are just like, eh. Like, you know, like, it's like, it's it's not, it's not impossible to believe some ugly little mole rat with some kind of persistent tear duct issue existed at some point in time. You know what I'm saying? Like, if the platypus is real, honestly, the squonk could be real. It could be some fucked up little thing that existed out there in the world. And as we spread across, as Europeans spread across the country and started, like, you know, chopping everything down, fucking all this shit up. Like it might have just went extinct, and we forgot about it. 
you know? Um, it could have been real at some point. And for a brief period of time, we have documentation from folks who say they saw them on a regular basis, right? And so it what's fascinating to me about these, like, these C and D student cryptids is, like, they low-key kind of could have been real. At least some of them. Maybe not the hide behind. Maybe the hide behind. I don't know. But, like, the squonk and, and specifically the next one could have definitely been real. Like, 100%. I'm like, yeah, that could have been something which, like, really sucked at evolving. Like, evolution could have just straight up forgot it. Like, it could have just been, like, just drove right past it, like, on the evolution train and been like, everything else is doing fine. Yeah, you're dead. And just, like, kept on going, you know? So, like, I don't know. It's just, I've never heard of these little fuckers before. And I'm just like, this is this is cool. I don't know. I, I had to share them with everybody. So, <laughs> the next one up. And we thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Like I said, don't mention these to your significant other or others until at least two years after you've been married because it will end everything. This is too fucking weird. I don't know. Just just keep it we keep it in the back. We have been married for two years. Yeah, but you're on the show, which is legally binding. So Legally binding. <laughs> uh, also, so. I feel like this should have been like a Valentine's Day episode. The squonk should have been a Valentine's Day episode. This whole episode should be a Valentine's Day. We'll work on it. I seriously <laughs> have like another 40 cryptids I could cover from this category. Oh my um, god, no. <laughs> yeah, some of them get real weird. I think more weird. Anyways. Weirder. Yeah, weirder-er. <laughs> well, <laughs> our next cryptid. Weighing in at 2,000 pounds, has the personality of Brick from Anchorman and the sleep schedule of a grad student. It is the Hoogag. First referenced in a book called, or in a 1900s book called, In the Limestone Valley, Pen Pictures of Early Days in Western Wisconsin by S.W. Brown, and then later described in more detail by William T. Cox. The Hoogag is a beast evolution has literally forgotten about. Found in northern Minnesota, as well as parts of Wisconsin and southern Canada, the Hoogag looks like a giant deformed moose mixed with a hippo. With no fur on its neck or face, it has a massive upper lip, which makes it impossible for it to graze. Further, the poor hoogag has no knees, making it impossible for it to lay down or sit. In fact, because it has no knees, it rarely sleeps. It just keeps meandering around. <laughs> when it does finally rest... The hoogag simply leans against a tree, which often leaves them permanently tilted to one side. Most of the time, the hoogag can be seen waddling through the forest, using its massive upper lip to wrap around the base of trees and peel off the bark. Sadly, between stripping bark and killing every tree it sleeps against, the mild-mannered hoogag is a major issue for loggers. So impossible, they are caught and removed. Now, to do this, hunters take advantage of the hoogag's weakness, the few times it does sleep. 
Once they find the Hugag's favorite tree to sleep against, they cut three quarters the way through it. When the Hugag approaches, looking to finally catch some rest, it leans heavily against it, causing the tree to snap. When it does, the Hugag can then be found powerless, on the ground, unable to get up, because it has no knees. Oh wow! He's so, he's so picture picture like a massive ass moose with like a weird leathery face and neck and an upper lip that's like almost reaching the ground. That's a hookag. Ew. Yeah, and it has literally just like it just walks with no knee. It's so fucking awkward. Yeah, that sucks. Oh my god, I love the Hoogag. I want to see the Hoogag and the Squonk run for president. I will fucking vote for them. I will campaign <laughs> for those little bastards. Now for our last segment this evening. I'll be sharing with you a tale I came across online, and before we get any haters, I've already reached out to the author and have gotten their approval. This is a tale about a potential encounter with a hide-behind, titled, There's Something in the Forest. By J.R. A.K.A. S-L-M. I definitely consider myself skeptical by nature, and these two encounters can probably be explained rationally, but sometimes an experience is too strange and intriguing to not share. I grew up and attended high school in a mid-sized Connecticut suburb. At the time, I was an avid runner and member of my high school's cross-country and track team, so I spent a good amount of time practicing and going for long-distance runs around the area. We would start at the high school after classes were dismissed, navigate along the sidewalk, and end up going to either the local park to the south or meadow to the northeast, looping around tractor trails and by our town ferry. Given that I had both grown up in town and had been running the trails for all of high school, I was very familiar with the environment by the fall semester of my senior year. Around late September, when the cross-country season began ramping up, our coach would have the varsity folks split off from the remainder of the group so that they could do more strenuous runs, five to seven miles usually. I had finally qualified in my senior season and so me and the other six varsity members decided to go down to the park and do loops in the forest trail. This is where the first oddity occurred. After lagging behind the top five varsity members, there's a range of abilities out of the seven of us, and we couldn't really keep up. My friend and I were jogging along the trail, which cuts through a brown field slide. We decided to catch our breath and wander around the area, which mainly consists of dilapidated factory infrastructure, big dirt mounds, and the occasional pile of concrete rubble. As we absentmindedly approached one of these concrete piles during our hike, I suddenly got a very bad, cautionary feeling in the pit of my stomach. There were no visuals to back up my sudden concern, but I figured that since it was just the two of us out there, I should voice the feeling to my friend regardless. After all, no point in keeping quiet and potentially falling victim to an avoidable danger. My friend actually agreed that he felt a similar sudden dread, and we both decided to continue our run back on the trail and return to more familiar territory. Normally runs through the forest are very relaxing thanks to the scenery, 
but this felt entirely different. I was very, very aware of how the brownfield site had a lot of features. Factory shells, pipes, rubble, etc., which obstructed our line of sight. I felt like we were being stalked on our return and didn't feel safe until we were in the park clearing where the playground and dog park were. Both of us ran much faster than we would have otherwise, at some points fully sprinting along the trail to vacate the area as soon as possible. Like I said at the start, this alone can definitely be a psychological thing, but it's never happened before. Something just flipped like a switch for both of us out of the brownfield. I've never gone back and stayed strictly on the trails closest to the clearing. About two weeks later, the group had chosen to run in the meadow. It's basically a wide expanse of farmland where town landowners grow turf to sell. There's very little shade and it can be quite the slog of a run in the summer, but autumn in Connecticut makes the route pretty enjoyable. I'd stayed after class to finish up a conversation with the teacher, and so the rest of the team had gone ahead, and I planned on rendezvousing with them. I started on my run, eventually reaching the meadow and approaching the trail nearby the ferry, and I got the same feeling from the brownfield, only now I was alone. I continued my jog, hoping to reach the ferry building where at least other people would be in the vicinity. The meadow's tree line continues all along the path separating the open turf fields from the river again. I was basically in an open sprint. I know this sounds very cliche, but mid-sprint, I tripped. Seriously. My foot rolled on top of a stone in the trail, and I stumbled forward and was on my hands. Once I stood up, I looked toward the trees again. Now, people respond to fear in different ways. Some people scream, some people use profanity, etc. However, I think the most visceral kind of fear response is when your whole body just tenses up and you fall dead silent. That's what happened with me when I turned around towards the tree line and saw a silhouetted, long-armed, bear-like figure peeping its head out from behind a tree staring at me. I didn't move. I just looked at it. Then the, quote, bear bounded away on two legs and slithered into the river. It made no noise. I ran, got back to the school, and went home. I've never seen it since, and I've since moved away to college. That's the story. Could be an animal or a hallucination or something else. I do not take drugs, and I do not drink, but I think there's something in the forest. Spooky. Hmm. Yeah, very spooky. What'd y'all think about our C and D student cryptids? <laughs> they were cute. There's some cutie pies. Yeah, I like the kitty one. I'm a squonk. We got the squonk. Who gag? We got the <laughs> we got the what else? The hide behind, always a classic. It's like a sad version of mm-hmm. seriously it looks like it looks like if cousin it had a baby with like the pale crawler or if the pale crawler fell into a tank <laughs> of rogaine like one of the two <laughs> one of the two happened <laughs> i just feel like we had an episode about pokemon basically yeah we basically had a pokemon episode which works because i'm <laughs> making pokemon cards out of these motherfuckers 
Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report and our small time cryptid episode. We want to extend a huge thank you to the new listens we've had and thank you to the listeners. You guys are the best and we're working on getting our merch store up and running with some cool designs for your hoodies, t-shirts, and everything else. Always remember to like, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you on the other side. And stay tuned for a special song treat. I want to be the very best that no one ever was. To catch them all is my real test. To train them is my cause. I will travel across the land. Searching far and wide To catch them is my real test To capture what's inside